All right, Second Chronicles chapter number 20 this morning. And I'd like to begin reading at verse number 30. And just going to read a few verses here uh, down to verse number 33. But I want to preach to you a message that I believe is very much needed. I know when God gave it to me, it was much needed in my heart. And I hope that it will be in yours this morning as well. Now, we're beginning at the end of the realm of a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. And we're just going to read kind of how God sums up this man's life. And there's a verse that interests me greatly that I want us to touch on. The Bible says, So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God, his God gave him rest round about. And Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and five years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in the way of Asa his father, and departed not from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit the high places were not taken away. For as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. Let's read that verse once more. It's our text. Howbeit the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I'd ask that you'd bless your word. And Lord, that you'd bless us through the person of Jesus Christ. I know, Father, that this morning I'm unworthy in mine own self and of mine own righteousness, but I'm thankful that I've submitted myself unto the righteousness of Christ, confessed myself a sinner, and been born again. And I know because of that this morning, Lord, that you're able to bless us and work in our lives, manifest your presence here this morning. I just pray that there'd be liberty in the preaching, liberty in the listening. And God, that your will and way would be accomplished. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of the Savior, Lord, that they might come to know Him. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. If you read through the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll find that God gives us glimpses into the lives of men that lived and they were kings. And it's one of the most fruitful studies that you'll ever do to go through these books because it seems as though God gives us uh, one or two verses that kind of sum up what God thinks about their life and uh, kind of an overview, if you will, or a summation uh, of their ministry and of their time and of their reign. And uh, you'll find as you read through the book of First uh, and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, uh, that they present to us two different kingdoms: the kingdom of Israel, which was the northern ten tribes of Israel, and it's known as Israel. And it gives to us the history of the kings of Judah, which was the southern two tribes of Judah. And Benjamin. These two uh, kingdoms were, or the kingdom of Israel was split into two. Uh, whenever Jeroboam kind of led a uh, insurrection, so to speak, and the kingdom was split after the reign of Solomon between Solomon's son Rehoboam and a man by the name of Jeroboam. You'll find as you read that Israel, basically the northern ten tribes, did not have a single good king. Every single one of them, it seems, did evil in the sight of the Lord. But now the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin and that kingdom known as Judah, uh, well, they had some good kings, they had some bad kings. And I'll be honest with you this morning, as we read about Jehoshaphat, he was a pretty good king. The Bible tells us there in verse number 32, "...and he walked in the way of Asa's father and departed not from it, doing that which was right 
in the sight of the Lord. He was a pretty good king. And if we were to say a few things about his reign and about his kingdom, and I just jotted them down, I would say that Jehoshaphat, uh, his reign was a reign of great length. The Bible tells us that he reigned 25 years. Hey, aren't you thankful we don't have to have one president for 25 years? Somebody say amen right there. I mean, term limits are a good thing, amen? And uh, he reigned for 25 years. Years Now, you may say, well, that doesn't seem like that long. And there were kings that reigned a little longer than him. Uh, but I, I just kind of jotted this down. He was the eighth longest out of 20 in the kings of Judah. In other words, uh, there were seven other kings that reigned longer than Jehoshaphat, but he was the eighth longest. Now, you say, well, that's pretty far down the list. But out of 20, it's really not. And some of those kings only reigned maybe a year or two longer than he reigned. Uh, he reigned for a pretty long time. So his was a reign of great length. I would say that his was a reign of great leadership. Now, uh, let's just read a couple verses just to drive these points home. Look back in chapter number 17 of Second Chronicles. Chapter number 17. You see, this is giving us Jehoshaphat's reign and telling us some things about it. And I want to note three things that I believe we'd all look for in a good leader. If we wanted to have a man that was a good leader and uh, had good leadership qualities, we could look at his time spent in office. And there's a few things we'd notice. Look back at verse number Number 9 of chapter number 17. Uh, the Bible says, And they taught in Judah, and had the book of the law of the Lord with them, and went about throughout all the cities of Judah, and taught the people. Now, I would say that during Jehoshaphat's reign, that the word of God was spread throughout the kingdom of Judah. And in fact, if you read that entire chapter, you'll find that one of the first things Jehoshaphat did was he uh, he saw that there wasn't enough of the Word of God around, and so uh, he took men and uh, priests and ordained them to go all through the land of Judah, taking the Word of God, teaching the Word of God to the people. Hey, I believe we need a revival today in churches of, of learning the Word of God. I believe we have a lot of biblically ignorant people today. You know, you've heard it before that if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Part of the reasons we live in so much apostasy today is uh, just plain and simple. People don't know the Word of God. You'd be amazed the things God has an opinion on. Somebody say amen right there. You'd be amazed what God says something about if you'll only read the Word of God. So it was a time when the Word of God was spread. Uh, looked over in uh, verse number uh, 10, the very next verse. Notice what it says. It wasn't only a time when the Word was spread, but it says, And the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah, so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. It was a time when war was scarce. It was a time, and we read it there uh, in chapter number 20, that the Lord God, His God, had given Him rest throughout the kingdom. It was a time when there was no war. Uh, now, I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I kindly remember hearing some, somebody say, how many of y'all remember a time when people used these kind of terminologies? Doves and hawks. You remember when people used to use that terminology? And I remember one old fellow saying, and, and I can't remember who it was, but uh, people said, oh, well, you're a hawk. He said, no, I'm a dove with claws. Amen. <laughs> And that, you know, I mean, I, I don't know anyone that likes war. And we ought not like war, but sometimes war is a necessary thing, isn't it? Sometimes it's necessary. The Bible calls the Lord a man of war. You say, are you a pacifist? No, I'm a Bible believer. And as a Bible believer, I, I believe that war is an awful thing, but sometimes war is necessary. And sometimes you've got to go by the sword instead of by the olive branch if you're ever going to have Peace. But I think we could all agree that war is a terrible thing. We've been in war in this country, and or occupations, or uh, campaigns, or whatever you want to call them for a lot of years now. 
War is a terrible, terrible thing. But during Jehoshaphat's reign, there, there wasn't very much war going on. I think we'd look for that in a, in a, in a leader. And we could say not only was uh, war scarce, but look at verse number 5 of chapter number 17. I'm just giving you a little bit of uh, context here. It says, Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in His hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. The Bible talks about, and you can see it down there in verse number 12, it says, And Jehoshaphat waxed great, uh, great exceedingly, and he built in Judah castles and cities of store, and he had much business in the cities of Judah, and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. I would say it was a time when uh, wealth was sufficient. It was a time when they had everything that they needed. We might say wealth was splendid. It was a time when people were prospering. There wasn't much war going on. The Word of God was being taught. Now, I'd say that's a pretty good leader, wouldn't you? I mean, what would you think if we had a president that went into office, and when he went into office, uh, unemployment dropped, and the, uh, gross, uh, the, the gross domestic product was, was raised, and the average income, the median income, uh, doubled? And uh, what would you think if we were able to get out of any conflicts or wars and still maintain peace around us? And then, hey, what would you think as a Bible believer if then he ordained that the Bible be taught in schools? I, I'd say we'd vote for him, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd say we'd look at that and say, that's a pretty good leader that we've got. But I want you to notice a third quality about him. We see that his was a reign of great length and a reign of great leadership. But notice verse number 33 of Second Chronicles chapter number 20. Now, we've seen these ideas. In verse number 31, we see the length of his reign. Verse number 30 and verse number 32 deal with, the, uh, with uh, his reign and his leadership. But verse number 33 says something interesting. Notice this word, how be it. Now, you know what that, that word, how be it, denotes? We use a term today that we kind of have gotten comfortable with, and it's the term, in spite of. In spite of all these things, or regardless of all these things, or even though all these things were right, the Bible allows one black mark upon the testimony of Jehoshaphat. Nothing else, for the most part, is recorded that is overwhelmingly negative about him. He had a good testimony. But the Bible says that there was one thing that he had between him and the Lord, and one thing that marred his reign. It says, Howbeit the high places were not taken away. For as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. I want to preach to you tonight, or this morning, or whenever we are, this afternoon. It'll feel like it, amen, before I'm done. But I, I want to preach to you on the idea of high places and hard cases. As you study through the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, I, I found when I, when I searched that term high places, that it's found in the Word of God about 90 times. And overwhelmingly, this term is connected in idolatry with the nation of Israel. You say, what is a high place? Uh, well, a high place was an altar or a place of worship that would be constructed somewhere other than Jerusalem and would be set up usually out in the wilderness, out in the mountain area, and it's a place that people would go. Sometimes they would sacrifice to the Lord. Sometimes they would sacrifice to pagan gods. But the book of Leviticus is very clear to us uh, that God has no desire for us to have these high places. Listen to what God says in the book of Leviticus. Chapter 26 and verse 30. God said, and I will destroy 
your high places, and cut down your images and cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. Now, I'm going I'm to give you the thrust of this in one moment so I can get preaching. These high places were places of idolatry, and they were places that constantly plagued the nation of Israel. Now, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. The Bible says that they did not remove or destroy or cast down these high places. And do you know why? Because it says that the people had not prepared their hearts before the God of their fathers. This is what I'm going to be preached on. Listen carefully. There's some things that you can come to a church service, hear a message, go to an altar, and get victory over. You know that? Isn't that true? You ever been to a church service and there's something you've been struggling with, a sin in your life or, or, or some kind of unfaithfulness to God, and, and you come to a church service and it's like God just pulls open your chest and puts His finger right on your heart and says, Listen, boy, I need that out of your life. And you weep and cry and come to an altar and you pray and ask God for victory, and He gives it to you. But then there's other things, these high places, things and sins in our life that we don't believe we can get rid of. Are you listening? Things that have been a part of our life for so long that we don't believe God can give us victory over. Things that when the preacher starts preaching on them, listen now, we get scared because we think God's going to ask us to give it over to Him. And we don't believe that we can. You see, Jehoshaphat was a man that reigned for a long time. Do you know there's Christians, listen carefully, there's Christians, they've been Christians a long time, and God's given them some victories, and they've seen some battles, and they've seen God do some great things in their life. But there's a few high places left that God's never given them victory in, and they've never gotten victory in. There's people that have been saved 20, 30, 40, 50 years that are still struggling with the very thing they're struggling with the night that they went to an altar and asked Christ in their heart. These high places. You might be, and you say, oh, preacher, now you're saying I'm a hypocrite. No, no more than Jehoshaphat was. Jehoshaphat was a good leader, wasn't he? And do you know that even good Christians, most of us would have to admit there's things in our lives that we call high places. We're faithful, Lord. We go to church, read our Bible, we pray. We're trying to lead our family. We're trying to do the right thing. But if we to be honest, if we could let people peer into the deepest, darkest corners of our hearts, there's a seed of bitterness. There's an element of pride. There, there's Listen, there is a, a bulwark of lust. There is something in our life that we have allowed to become an idol and a high place. And we'd say, Lord, that's untouchable. Lord, I can never get that out of my life. I don't know what it might be in your life. You say, preacher, do you know what it is in your life? Yeah, I know some. You say, what are they? I say, mind your own business. <laughs> but you've got them just like I've got them. Things that we're struggling with. Things that we know, if we were to be honest, we know that God wants them out of our life. But we're scared that we can't get rid of them. I want to say a word about these high places. I don't even know how this is going to go, but I'm going to do my best. Amen. I want to say that these high places were first off fleshly places. Now, here in a moment, we're going to talk about when these high places were used for good. But I just want to say that a high place in and of itself, these, these groves, and that's what they're called, is groves in the Word of God. Places of worship that were, you know, we have that today. We have that today. You say, oh, no, no, we don't have that. Yeah, that's people that never darken the doorstep of God's house because they worship the Lord at the golf course. I'll try this side then. That's, that's those people that never go to church. 
Because they're worshiping God at the golf course. Yeah, they're more spiritual than you all. That's people that never go to church because they're worshiping God at the lake. I mean, don't, don't misunderstand me. Now, I mean, I, I just come off a vacation. There ain't nothing wrong with going, uh, spending some time away. I mean, let me tell you something. If you're in the battle, there's going to be times you're going to have to have to take a little time to yourself. But I'm talking about people that are never where they need to be. People that are never honoring the Lord. That's their high place. You see, we've made these things, and I'm not just talking about church attendance. I could talk about anything. I, I, I could talk about giving, and there's people that never give because they drop a quarter in the Salvation Army bucket when they walk out of the Walmart. You see, that's a high place. You say, well, I'm giving. Well, you're not giving like God asked you to. You say, well, I'm worshiping, but you're not worshiping like God asked you to. You see, it's not that God had a problem with worship. It's that God had a problem with the high places. They were fleshly places of idolatry. They had their source and their origin. Hey, whenever God dealt with Abraham, what's the first thing Abraham did? Did he build a high place? The Bible says he built an altar. An altar is a low place. A high place was uh, these houses of worship they'd build out in the wilderness. And uh, God had a problem with these high places because they stole and took captive the heart of the children of Israel away. They had pagan origins. You won't find in the Word of God a, a single place where there is a precedent set where God says, go out and build your high place. You won't find that anywhere. The word high place is used in two senses. Sometimes it speaks of uh, places on the earth, mountaintops. Uh, uh, and, uh, when the Bible talks about going and treading upon the high places of the earth, and it speaks in poetic language about God's uh, ability to uh, walk all over the earth. But when it's speaking of this idolatrous place, this, bo- uh, th- th- this uh, bunker, if you will, in their life, or this place, this fortress of idolatry, it's never spoken of in a positive connotation. It's always a fleshly thing. Listen to what the Bible says. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. In 1 Kings chapter 14, it says, And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed, above all that their fathers had done. Now, wait a minute now. Let's pause for a second. What it's saying is that the nation of Judah provoked the Lord in the things that they did. Right? That's what it's saying. Provoked the Lord in the things that they did. Then it uses this word. Notice carefully it says, for. Now, it's just said they, they provoke God. In other words, it's not saying they provoke God with their sins and they did this. It's saying they provoke God with their sins and this is what their sins were. It says, for they also built them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. Let me tell you what turns God's nose. Are you ready? Let me tell you what absolutely disgusts Him. And it's this thing of idolatry. And if we think that that is a Bronze Age pagan notion, we've got another thing coming. Because let me tell you something. Idolatry is more rampant today in the New Testament church than it's ever been in this entire world. Oh, it's not little figures of wood. Not little figures of stone. Sometimes it's our wallets. Sometimes it's our loved ones. Sometimes it's our kids or our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews that we put before God. Hey, sometimes it's our fleshly desires. Sometimes it's our pride. But don't you think for one moment, just because we don't personify it with a little uh, figurine, that we don't have idolatry in this day. 
These were fleshly places. And I'd say anything that's of the flesh. I heard a preacher say this this week, and it stuck with me. He's talking to his boy, and his boy had a decision that he was facing. And his boy said, Daddy, I just don't know what to do. And his, that preacher looked at his son and said, Well, son, if you always do what you don't want to do, you'll be all right. Now, you know what I mean when I say that. He's saying your flesh is telling you something. And faith is telling you something different. And anything that's of the flesh is abhorrent to God. God hates it. They were fleshly places. I would say that, number two, they were former places. Now, you say, wait a minute, preacher. What do you mean by former places? Well, I want to read a verse to you, and this is going to puzzle you, but you let me explain it. In 1 Kings 3, 2, it says, Only the people sacrificed in high places... Because there was no house built under the name of the Lord until those days. Now, this is speaking of Solomon building the temple of the Lord. And it's saying that before the temple of the Lord was built, that they sacrificed in high places. Do you know you'll find this being done all through the books of uh, Judges and of First and Second Samuel? The tabernacle had come along, but the Bible speaks of a place in Shiloh, in the Word of God, where Samuel would sacrifice. And it was a high place. Now, some of you are saying, now, wait a minute, preacher. I thought you just said God hates high places. Now you're telling me that there was a time when God allowed high places. Yeah, that's right. You know why? Because there's certain sins in your life that God winked at at one time. But now He's made it abundantly clear to you that it needs out of your life. I look back on my time at some of the things that I thought God was okay with, and I laugh sometimes. You know it? We've got a baby. You know that, right? I, yes. And, and he's cute. And I love him. And there's a part of me that wants him to stay just that way. Amen? He can't really talk, which means he can't talk back. You know, I mean, I, I don't, we don't have to, I mean, just, he's like a burrito. He just lays there. He don't do anything. And that's nice in a way. But, you know, I really do love that boy. And I want him to grow up. Part of me that don't want it. But then I know that's what's best for him. So let me ask you something this morning. If we have that kind of attitude towards our children, how do you think God feels towards His children? There are certain things that we'll allow that baby to do. We, we had him at church the other night, last Sunday, and I looked at my wife and I said, take him pants off that boy. And she said, why? I said, because his legs are only going to be cute so long. Amen? Let people see them. Because there's going to come a time when we're all going to be begging people to, you know. I mean, some of you all, I love every person in this room, but I don't want to see your legs. Amen? That's right. I don't want to see your legs. But, you know, when we brought that baby down and he was just wearing that onesie and them, them fat little ham legs sticking out, nobody said, put some pants on that child. That ain't allowed. Now, I don't know. Sometimes I worry this wouldn't be a problem, but I hope that if I come down in a onesie with my legs hanging out, there'd be some people upset. That's right. I would hope so. You see, there's some things that are allowed for a little child. And it's not that they're not wrong in a sense. It's not that they don't need to be done away with, and they will be. But we're raising them. God's raising you. And there's some things that God may have allowed you to get away with at one time, Brother Ralph. But now as you've grown as a believer, He is shedding light into your life and making you aware that those things need to be dealt with. They were former places. 
There may be some things that you don't see no problem with. Do you know that we don't live our life based upon what we see a problem with? We ought to live our life based upon what God sees a problem with. There's things God asks me to do that I don't understand, but if I only do what I understand, I'm not going to do much for God. And, and if everything God asks me to do, I always understood, He really wouldn't be that much of a God anyway. There's things that God asks me to do that I don't understand. And listen carefully, don't brand me, don't mark me this morning, but there's things God asks me to do that I don't even agree with. But then again, He's God, and I'm not. There's things that God uh, has in His Word that I scratch my head at sometimes. I do as much as what's happening up here. But it's right because it's the Word of God. I'm not God, and He is. They were former places. They were places that had been allowed at one time, but God had brought them to a greater level and a greater walk. Now they had the house of the Lord. Now there was a better and different way, and God had brought them away from They were former places, but I would say they were famous places. Listen to what it says in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 12 and verse 32. Jeroboam is doing this as he is ascending the throne. Jeroboam was a man, he, he was a, an exile in Egypt uh, for a while. He was a uh, political exile, I guess you would say. And uh, he had been chased off and he returns when Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, ascends the throne. And Rehoboam, he, he kind of, he come in and his attitude was this. He said, uh, you know, Solomon had taxed the people a whole lot to build the temple. And it was the golden age of Israel, what the commentators called it, when Solomon was on the throne. But it cost a lot of money. And Jeroboam, or Rehoboam, his son comes in. You know what he says? He says, you think my daddy taxed you? You ain't seen taxing yet. You think my daddy was hard on you? You ain't seen... And this is how he says it. He says, my daddy chastised you with whips. I'm going to chastise you with scorpions. Well, I didn't fly over too well. And so Jeroboam comes up and says, now he's going to be hard on you, but I'm going to make it easy on you. And so there was a faction of people, the northern ten tribes, that went with Jeroboam. And so when this split, this, this catastrophic and cataclysmic split takes place in the nation of Israel's history, listen to what it says, And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made, and he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he uh, ordained and constructed this high place in connection with his ascension to the throne. As you read through the history of these high places, you will find, now listen to what I'm about to say, you will find that most of the time these high places were constructed in connection with great or tragic events. Do you know a lot of times the very sins that we have allowed to become the fabric of who we are are things that we adopted in a time of great tragedy? There's some of you, and you've heard stories, and I've heard stories, I guess we all have, about people that lose someone they love dearly and they grow bitter. They build that high place. People that lose someone that they love and they take to drinking, they build that high place. People that get mistreated in their marriage. And listen, nobody ought to be mistreated in their marriage. Don't you believe that? Nobody ought to be. And I'm not trying to minimize that, but people that are mistreated in a marriage and they step out on their spouse and they, and they begin an adulterous relationship, that's a high place that they've built in connection with something that's happened. Somebody's done you wrong, you get out of church. That's a high place that you've built in honor of what happened. You're saying, I'm tired of doing it God's way because I got hurt doing it God's way, so I'm going to start doing it my way. And that's really what sin is. 
Sin is, is the devil's propaganda to convince us that God does not have our best interest at heart. Isn't that what He did in the Garden of Eden? Uh, didn't, didn't Eve say, oh, the Lord said that we uh, should not look upon that tree and should not even touch it? By the way, God never said that. Eve said that. But you see, that's what happens when, when corrupt hearts try to, try to handle the Word of God. You know that? They change it, they add to it, they take away from it, and they pollute it. She says, we're not even supposed to touch it, because in the day that we eat it, we'll surely die. And you know what the devil said? The devil said, you shall not surely die. For the Lord doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, that ye shall be made wise as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil came along and said, God's not got your best interest at heart. God's just trying to keep you under his thumb for himself. And you know what they said? They said, we ain't going to let God do that to us. To this day, there is a high place that's known as the sin nature that will never be eradicated until we are given a glorified body. That's the ultimate high place is that of the sin nature. The ultimate altar that elevates itself against the true God of heaven. It's known as the flesh, the fallen man, the Adamic nature, sinful man in his depravity. That's the ultimate high place. And we build these other high places in connection with these events. I'd say also it's a familiar place. I was going to share this with you a moment ago, but I'll do it now. As I read those 90-some references to the term high places in the Word of God. You know what I found, Brother Charlie? I found that 64 of them, that's a pretty good percentage. It's over two-thirds. 64% of them, or 64 times, ah, it's probably percentages too. 64 times it is given in connection with the nation of Israel and their idolatry. They were familiar places. Let me read these to you. And, I, and I'm not going to take long. I just, I'm going to read you some of these verses. And some of these are just parts of verses, okay? And you ain't going to be able to follow along fast enough as I read them. So just listen carefully. 1 Kings 3.3 3 says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. 1 Kings 13.33 says, After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again of the lowest of the people priests of the high Places. 1 Kings 15.14 says, But the high places were not removed. 1 Kings 22.43 says, Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. 2 Kings 12.3 says, But the high places were not taken away. 2 Kings 14.4 says, Howbeit the high places were not taken away. 2 Kings 15.4 says, Save that the high places were not removed. 2 Kings 15.35 says, Howbeit the high places were not removed. Second Kings sixteen four says, and he sacrificed and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Second Kings seventeen nine says, and they built them high places in all their cities. Second Kings seventeen eleven says, and there they burnt incense in all their high places. Second Kings seventeen twenty nine says, howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places. Second Kings twenty one three says, for he built up again the high places which has his father had destroyed. Second Chronicles 11.15 says, And he ordained him priests for the high places and for the devils and for the calves which he had made. Second Chronicles 15.17 says, But the high places were not taken away out of Israel. Second Chronicles 21.11 says, Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah.
Judah. Second Chronicles 28.4 says, He sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places. Second Chronicles 28.25 says, And in every several city of Judah He made high places. And Second Chronicles 33.3 says, For He built again the high places. Now that's just a snippet. And you say, Preacher, what did you take the time to read that? I'm wanting you to understand that this is something that they struggled with for their entire national existence. They were familiar places. Some of you have sin in your life that when you're right with God, you you can stay away from it. Listen. But when you get wrong with God, it's the first place that you run to. Some Some of us have bad spirits about us. I'm being honest. I get that way sometimes, just a bad attitude. And when we're right with God, everything's okay. But we get wrong with God, and the first thing we do is we run to that high place of a bad spirit. Some of us, some of us, it's it's unfaithfulness. And when we're right with God, we're faithful and we're committed. And listen, we're, I mean, we're in there and we're... But the second that something happens in our life, we run to that high place of unfaithfulness. Some of us, it's pride. When we're right with God, God keeps us humble, and we know that we're just a sinner saved by grace. But the second that we let something sin in our lives, we go to that high place of pride. It's a familiar place. Something we've struggled with for years. And something that we don't think we can get victory over. Can I tell you that when Christ died for sin, He died for every single sin, even those you don't think you can get rid of. The Bible says, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. If He could bear the entire world's sins, what makes you think He couldn't give you victory over that sin in your life. Now, what I'm telling you this morning is going to help you because it will help you take steps you've never took if you'll listen carefully to what I'm saying. The reason they couldn't get rid of them is they hadn't prepared their hearts. I'm going to give you one final one. I'm just going to touch it. They were fastened places. The devil really don't like that, does he? They were fastened places. Listen carefully. They had become part of the landscape. Are you hearing me? They just got used to it. Some of you, there's things that if you'd be honest, God would deal with you about. But you won't give the Holy Spirit room enough to deal with it because you're just too comfortable with it in your life. Just become part of the landscape. That's why they didn't do away with them, Brother Ralph, because they're way up there in the hills, hidden in the forest, deep and secret and dark. And they had been there all that time. They'd clean up the temple, but they wouldn't take care of the high places. They'd clean up their homes, but they wouldn't take care of the high places. You say, preacher, boy, you're making me feel low. No, don't feel bad. Jehoshaphat was a good man, wasn't he? He's a good man. Loved the Lord. Did right. But there were some things in his life that he never got victory over. Because they hadn't prepared their hearts. Now, this is what I want to give you. That was my introduction. No, I'm joking. <laughs> This is what I want to give you. It's going to take more than one service. It's going to take more than one trip to the altar. I remember hearing a story one time, and this illustrates this idea, and some of you know who Lee Robertson is in the Highland Park Baptist Church. nothing now. You know, that's what compromise does. It's nothing. They just got through selling their buildings. They just got through selling their buildings. You know why? Because nobody wants to follow somebody that don't believe nothing. When Dr. Robertson was there and when it was going well, I remember hearing a preacher that was telling a story about Dr. Robertson. And he had preached at this man's church. 
And as most evangelists do, when he got done preaching, he just turned around and he, and he sat down at the, at the, the chair there and, and he allowed the pastor to do the, the invitation. And uh, there was a man that came down to the altar. And the pastor's up there and he's giving this invitation. This man kneels down and he prays for a moment. And then he gets up and he turns around to walk off. And Dr. Robertson, who was sitting in the chair, whenever he saw it, he was a big old tall man. He jumped up and he said, son, son. And that fellow turned around and looked at him and he said, Son, who were you praying for? He said, I've been praying for my brother. He said, How old is he? He said, Well, he's in his 30s. And he's not saved. He said, So the devil's had him for 30 years. And you've prayed for him for 30 seconds. He said, Get down on this altar and some of you men come pray with him. It's going to take more than that. And then as he went to sit back down, a lady came down to the altar, an older lady. And she knelt down and she began to pray. And then she got up in a moment. And Dr. Robertson jumped up and he went up and he said, Mrs. Robertson, who's his wife, said, who are you praying for? She said, well, pastor, I'm praying for our nephew. You know him. He's lost. Dr. Robertson said, he's in his 40s, isn't he? She said, yeah. He said, some of you ladies come down and pray with Mrs. Robertson. It's going to take more than that. What I'm saying is this. It's going to take some preparation of the heart to deal with some of them high places. It's going to take some time spent in prayer. It's going to take some time that, not only prayer, but to be purposed. Like Daniel purposed in his heart. Part of the reason we struggle with these high places, and the same reason the nation of Israel did, is they'd go out in the wilderness and they'd visit them. And then they'd go back to the temple and feel like they were somebody. And all the while, they had never dealt with those high places. There they are, giving sacrifices at the temple, going on like nothing's wrong. But God knew about those high places. And all the people there at the temple, they may have not seen them at that high place. They may have not known anything about it. And your church family may not know anything about it. But we're not talking about being right with your church family this morning. We're talking about being right with God. And God does know about them high places that we have in our lives. It's going to take a little bit more than just a prayer. It's going to take a little bit more than just one good service. We're going to have to purpose in our hearts, and we're going to have to make it a matter of prayer, and we're going to have to listen now, and I'm done, make it a matter of protection. You know what Paul said? Paul said to make no provision for the flesh, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans thirteen fourteen, and make no provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Some of you, that thing that you're dealing with, you could get victory over it if you get things out of your house or out of your home or your life or your heart that you need to get out of it. Some of you, and maybe, I don't know what it is, but there's some things. Some of you, some of you, it may be, you may be able to get victory over that given, but it may mean cutting back. Some of you, you may be able to get victory over that bitterness, but, but it, it, it may mean getting yourself closer to that person further away somebody else that's fostering it. Some of you may be able to get victory over uh, that, that lust in your heart and life, but it's going to mean getting rid of some, some movies or some things. I'm saying that it may take a little work. It may take a little house cleaning. But these high places, if we're going to be thoroughly right with God, we're going to have to get rid of them.